I'm Juita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. What's wrong with you? It's a question that people with disabilities often get asked. What's wrong has little to do with an impairment and a lot more to do with ableism, pity, and disdain. The roots of our ideas on disabilities are so obscured, we often struggle to discover their origins. But open the Bible, for instance, and disability is everywhere. Moses believes his stutter renders him unable to answer God's call. Jacob's encounter with an angel leaves him changed not just spiritually, but physically. He gains a limp. For centuries, these stories have been told and retold in ways that treat disability as a metaphor for spiritual incapacity and as a challenge to be overcome. Today, we discuss disability, religion, and spirituality. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Chuita Gupta, and I'm joining you as I always do from Accessible Media Studios in Toronto. My guest today is someone who wears many hats. Not only is she a rabbi, but Julia Watts-Belser is Professor of Jewish Studies in the Department of Theology and Religious Studies, as well as core faculty at George Brown's Disability Studies Program. As well as all of that, she is a Senior Research Fellow at the Berkeley Center for Religion, Peace, and World Affairs. Julia is the author of Loving Our Own Bones, Disability Wisdom in the Spiritual Subversiveness of Knowing Ourselves Whole. Julia, hello and welcome to The Pulse. Thank you so much for speaking to me about this important topic. Hello, such a pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for the invitation. I'm sorry to ask you what I think you will consider a banal question, but what are you trying to get at with the title of your book? You know, it's a great question, actually. I think it's um, one of the things that feels so crucial to me as a proud disabled person is the embrace of my own bones. Right? In a world that so often tells disabled folks that we are less, that we are insufficient, that we don't measure up, right? these messages come to us in so many ways. My, my instinct here is that one of the most crucial and transformative things we can do in this world as disabled folks is to love ourselves and our kin fiercely. So that's, of course, personal work, but it's also the work of social transformation. And I'd say my book has two intertwined efforts, right? The work of, um, of orienting us toward that, um, the, that spiritual message of finding and claiming the sacredness of our own true selves, and also the work of challenging ableism, of getting better tools and strategies and capacities to um, transform the world in which we live. But are there, is there uh, some amount of disconnect when you try to do that work within uh, your, your, your practices in theology and the self-affirmation you might feel as a person with a disability? Because 
uh, I, I, I don't have your depth of knowledge, but the little that I read of the Bible does not often have the most promising things to say about people with disabilities. How do you reconcile that? Oh, my goodness. It's, you know, it's absolutely right. Right. As a queer, disabled feminist rabbi, I spend a lot of my time working with people who have been burned by religion. Right? In a lot of disability spaces, especially, people are deeply hesitant to engage with religion for very good reason. Religion has so often been weaponized against disabled folks. I mean, faith healing, miracle stories, paternalism, saccharine sweetness. There are so many frustrating cultural narratives about disability that get wrapped in spiritual language. Right? I'm thinking about those lines. I'm sure you've heard them as well. Disability is our greatest teacher. God doesn't give us more than we can bear. Right? These are all things that I find so deeply frustrating. Um, and, you know, I think as I work with religious texts, religious traditions, as I open the Bible, as you said, right, open the Bible and disability, you find disability in so many of these familiar stories. And yet the cultural scripts that are encoded there often imagine disability as an impediment, as a struggle to overcome, as... Uh, as a disappointment, as a lack, as a loss. And so I spend a lot of my time saying no to those stories. And yet, I also believe there are, that it's worth continuing to grapple with these texts. That they're first because they have shaped so profoundly the world in which we live. Right? I don't think we can contend against ableism without unpacking some of the religious roots of, um, of these paradigms. And also because I believe there are seeds of liberation that can be found within sacred texts and traditions. One of the things that you didn't mention, and I thought you would mention, is the charitable, the charitable impulse that is embedded in so many religious communities. It's not a bad thing, but often people with disabilities are the willing or not recipients of that charity. How does one how does one how does one deal with that contradiction? I mean, do we just do away with charity uh, as part of our religious practice or is there a way to do charitable work in a religious context without also being paternalistic to people with disabilities at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. I think the a question that I often ask and that I want religious communities to do a better job at asking is what's the difference between charity and solidarity? Religious communities have often treated disabled people as symbols, right? Sometimes we're cast as symbols of suffering or exemplars of tragedy. Sometimes we get lifted up as like virtuous or inspirational or, or brave. You know, it's, it's all of that is garbage, right? They're all one dimensional characters that deny disabled people our full humanity. They end up making us into object lessons. And I think they also make us into the sites through which other people can demonstrate their virtue. So part of what I think we need to do is to, or part of what I think religious communities need to do is to get out of that mode of thinking so symbolically about disability, right? I want us to, to um, to recognize the ways that disabled folks are complex. Um, we're complex people, complex individuals, not um, 
single note um, stories of suffering or inspiration. But I think the other thing that also needs to happen is to really change the um, the power dimensions. Okay? As a rabbi myself, right? as a person who often works in, in religious communities and religious spaces, people are consistently surprised to see me as a religious leader. Okay? I, you know, part of that's gender, of course, but a lot of that is my wheelchair. I don't look like what most people assume a rabbi is going to look like because we've been socialized. So many folks have been socialized to assume that disabled folks are um, recipients of charity, not the ones who are giving the blessing. Uh, yeah, you know, you've talked a lot about your work as a rabbi, but I, I wonder if I could tap your thinking as a scholar as someone who reads and has likely reread a lot of these texts, do you think there's something to be gained in terms of our understanding of the Bible and other texts if we start to read from a place of um, compassion and a place of understanding around disability? Because you know, disability is sort of a is is held up as an object lesson or you know as a cautionary tale. But if we were to center disability in a more positive way in our reading, what does that do for our interpretation of some of these texts that are so central to our cultural beliefs? It can open up so much. Take the figure of Moses. Uh -huh. Moses is a, uh, I would lift up Moses as a disabled prophet. There's a moment when the Hebrew Bible describes how God calls Moses and sends him to Pharaoh. It's Moses's job to speak to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh that Pharaoh must let the Israelites go. This is a major moment in the turning point of the Jewish, eventually the Christian story, when the people are freed from enslavement and begin um, to enter into um, a more liberated experience of life. And Moses says no. Moses says no because he's a bad speaker. Okay, he the um, the tradition, Jewish tradition, says that um, he it uses a term that's often um, it, it says his tongue is is heavy, right? And uh, many commentators have understood that to mean that Moses has a speech disability. That Moses, in other words, is a stutterer. So Moses, in a moment of what I would, as a, as, a, as a scholar, as a disabled person, right, I would identify as a moment of internalized ableism. Moses says, I'm not going to do it. I'm a bad talker. <laughs> Don't make me go there. And so we see the first reasonable accommodation in the Torah. God says to Moses, all right, take your brother. He will, you speak, and then he will revoice your words. It's a moment that mirrors a practice that many speech disabled folks use today. And it's extraordinary, I think, to find that written in to one of the oldest cultural traditions that we have, to find that actually 
kind of given a stamp of approval by the divine. <laughs> of course, yeah. I wasn't waiting around for the Bible to tell me that it was yeah. okay to request accommodations. Right. Um, but there is something about finding these moments of resonance in some of these ancient, uh, ancient Jewish stories. The story becomes complicated because the, as a scholar, as much as I love this moment, uh -huh. I also know that the history of the tradition is such that many traditional commentators have been deeply uncertain, hesitant, ashamed of the idea that the greatest prophet was a disabled man. And so there is also a legacy of ableism written into the tradition where, um, uh, traditional commentators say it isn't possible that Moses, the chosen Moses, would have a disability. And so part of what my commitment is as a scholar is also to contend with the ways that both the Bible itself and later traditions of commentary re-inscribe assumptions about disability that are violent, dangerous, and demeaning. So part of my commitment as a scholar is not only to lift up the beautiful moments that appear within tradition, but also to give us tools for confronting the violence. And I think one of the, the, the passages that you talk about, which I found to be especially violent, was, um, was in, in terms of um, the, the, the priest who was able to come up and, and offer a, a sacrifice to the gods, and that any priest with a blemish i.e. anyone with a disability, was immediately excluded. It's very hard to reinterpret that in a way that takes away the ableism. So how does one reconcile with, uh, with something like that? It's such a difficult text. And it's a text, this text in, um, in Leviticus that describes the, um, a blemished priest as barred from offering um, sacrifice at the altar. Um, it's a very... It's a very difficult text. It's really in your face. And so I have heard so many, um, so many folks try to give a kind of nicer, right? Put a nicer spin on that text, explain why it, it isn't as harsh as it sounds to explain how it's, and I think, you know, part of me, my, my heart goes out to folks who are, who are thinking like, I don't want right, my religion to say this. I don't want my religion to say this either. But what I believe we have to do is to take this text as a witness to ableism. I don't believe that um, this text tells us true about the real feelings that God has for disabled people. But what I do think it tells us is that it bears witness to the tremendous history and legacy and ongoing present in which disabled people are imagined as um, less desirable. Our, our very bodies and bones are seen as ugly, unfortunate, um, shameful. And so I don't want to, I don't want to polish up this text and make it pretty. I don't want to, and I certainly don't want to apologize for it. What I want to do is use it as a goad, use it as a mirror, ask us to look at it 
and then confront the way in which we human beings have so often pressed our prejudices onto God. One of the things I wanted to ask you, um, and I don't know if this is a part of the Jewish or biblical tradition, but I'm Hindu, and definitely one of the things that I've heard about disability is that it's a punishment. So Hindus believe in reincarnation. You did something bad in your last life. Ergo, in this life, you have a disability. And that, that has sort of been a very founding myth um, of my interaction with religion as a person with a disability. How do we unravel these ideas, which are damaging to people when they hear them, but also maybe take people away from religion when they might otherwise have found comfort and solace and community uh, with religion, but you know, you feel like the door is slammed in your face when you hear something like that? Absolutely, absolutely. It's such a painful, such a painful message. I think that this idea is rooted also in the presumption that disability always demands an explanation. And I think one of the ways that I try to get underneath that impulse is to, you know, I'd love to ask us, why do we always assume that disability demands a reason? Okay. Um, I think the it's so pernicious this assumption that um, you know you or someone in your family right I mean I think about the long legacy of mothers being blamed for disability right in a whole whole different set of, I mean, there's so many different cultural traditions here. You named Hinduism, but this is alive and well in so many different quarters, right? Um, this notion that if disability enters the world, it's because someone somewhere has done something wrong. I want us to learn how to tell a different story. One where we recognize disability as a kind of natural, ordinary part of human experience. Disability, as I see it, is braided into the very fabric of our human lives. Um, even if we don't have disabilities now, at like at some point in our lives, we are very likely to acquire disability. Disability is not an aberration. It shouldn't be a shock. It shouldn't be a surprise. And part of so part of how I would want to push back against that narrative that disability is a punishment is also to say disability just is, okay? It is part of the way that our lives unfold. So where do we go from here? I mean, uh, in, the, in your book, there's a beautiful passage that talks about how, yes, you had tried to correct in the, your limb, but you thought it also made you unique. It was, you know, it, it was what made you yourself. Um, so I, I suppose that having, as a person with a disability, having some self-love and self-affirmation is part of it. But in terms of a broader religious practice, where do people disabled and non-disabled alike go from here? One of the things I'd love to see is to see more of us invested as a spiritual, religious, and or secular justice-seeking project, um, I want to see us all in for the work of disability liberation. Right? I want to see us do the work of dismantling ableism. Um, we live in a world that 
teaches so many of us that our bodies and minds are not whole. That, um, you know, and it's not just attitudes. It's not just ideas. It's also the very tangible structures of the world the world in which we live. Right? We live in a world where people who can sit still and quote unquote pay attention are enabled and rewarded in school. We live in a world where housing discrimination is rampant, where employment discrimination is all over the place. Right? And so part of what I come from a deeply justice seeking tradition, Jewish tradition says, um, Tzedek, Tzedek, Tirdof, justice, justice, you shall pursue. And for me, that means um, as a signature cornerstone tenant of my faith and practice, the commitment is to build a world where all people can thrive. Right? Um, that's that's the story that I want to see become the signature religious story about disability, right? Not a story about healing, not a story about sin or punishment or karma, a story where we are all committed to transforming and remaking this world. That's the, um, that's the, the liberation commitment. And your book is really fantastic. It's obviously part of it is ideas and scholarship, but a lot of it is very personal and biographical as well. You have a short excerpt from the book you wanted to share with us. Why don't you go ahead and set that up for us and tell us what we're going to, about to hear. Beautiful. So it's actually that um, that passage that you mentioned uh, just a moment ago, that passage, uh, I'm a wheelchair user now, right? but as a child, I used to walk and everyone wanted to fix my limp. So I tried to walk right. I practiced over and over the motion of heel before toe. But as I did my exercises night after night, I also remember this. I remember listening to the offbeat of my quirky stride and loving the sound of my own step. The way my foot struck ground, the distinctive rhythm of my walk, they were my signature, something that was purely my own. This was the first spiritual insight I traced to disability experience, this decision to cherish something about myself that other people didn't value. Maybe you know this insight too. Maybe you know what it's like to say yes to yourself, even in the face of disapproval or disdain. Growing up disabled, growing up queer, the stakes were stark. It was either kindle tenacious love for myself or swallow the world's projections whole. And so I chose. I found and felt and claimed the holiness of my own bones. I said yes to my own heart, to my own soul. I had the brilliant audacity to call it good and know it home. Thank you. That was beautiful. Thank you so much for speaking to me about your book. It's such a fantastic read, and uh, I really enjoyed reading it, and I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Huge pleasure to get to talk with you today. Julia Watts-Belser is a rabbi and scholar, and you just heard an excerpt from her book, which I hope you'll have a chance to pick up. 
This is all the time we have for today. Unfortunately, we do have to run. If you'd like to leave us some feedback and share your insights or experiences with uh, religion and being a person with a disability, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email, write to feedback at ami.ca. You can find us on Twitter now, x at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI. You can also give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Don't forget to leave permission to play the voicemail on the program. Our videographer today has been Jake Kemp. Our technical producer in for Marco Flalo is Jordan Steves. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. Ryan Dalhenty, of course, is the coordinator for podcasts at AMI-audio. should mention Ryan as well. And I've been your host, Joita Gupta. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you.